I would invite you to open with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start today in verse 5, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, and also Revelation chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look uh, at a passage from the scariest book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Um, it's not scary at all, I just that's a joke. It's one of the best books in the Bible. All 66 are wonderful, amen? amen. Philippians chapter 2, and uh, I want to invite you to come tonight to church at 6 p.m. Uh, I had some people ask me, are we having church tonight? I said, of course. I, why wouldn't we have church tonight? I can't think of any good reason not to be in God's house tonight. And well, They said, you know, there's this game. There's some sort of football game, I guess, tonight. I said, well, okay. No, we're having church tonight, so uh, I hope you'll come and join us. Uh, let me tell you, it doesn't matter who wins or loses this football game tonight. It's not going to affect anything in your life whatsoever, unless you put money on it. And if you did, you should be in church tonight. You really need to be in church tonight. Come and repent. Um, but if you win, make sure you, you know, you're generous with your winnings. Let it be sanctified to the Lord. Um, but no, come on out tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to be looking at one of the most mysterious uh, people in the whole Bible, Enoch. We're going to look at walking with God tonight, and uh, I know it'll be a great blessing to you tonight at 6 o'clock. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 5 today. Paul writing, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would move in and among us today, uh, that you would move in a powerful way in our lives. God, we need you. We are desperate in our dependence upon you. Without you, we can do nothing. But Lord, you have given us your spirit. You have clothed us in your righteousness. You have seated us with you in heavenly places. God, I pray that the reality of this passage would be pressed so firmly within our hearts that we would live the truth, that we would not believe the lies of the enemy, the lives of the world, uh, the lies of the culture, but we would stand firm on the truth 
of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What I love about this passage is it presents to us a picture of Christ in three different time periods. It presents to us Christ past, Christ present, and Christ future. I'm not talking about a Christmas carol and the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present and little, what was that kid's name with the gimpy leg? Tiny Tim. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Christmas past. I'm talking about Christ and this portrait of Christ past, present, and future. And all of us, we need clarity on these portraits of Christ. We, we need to have them clearly before our eyes. We need to, to readily be able to recall these portraits of Christ, past, present, and future, and to live in the reality of, of what these portraits present to us. Now, last week, of course, we examined verses 4 uh, through 8. We looked at Christ in the past. And we looked at that central Christian truth, that central Christian doctrine of the incarnation, of, of who Jesus was in eternity past, that, that in the past Jesus is God. He has always been God. He will always be God. He never stopped being God. That he was in the form of God, but that Jesus entered into uh, a human form, that he, he added to his uh, humanity or to his divinity rather he added humanity and he was God with us he lived among us for those 33 years as Jesus of Nazareth and I presented to you that the most central and the most important question that you will ever hear or that you will ever answer is this question who is Jesus who is Jesus was he just a Jewish carpenter was he just a teacher? Was he just uh, uh, someone who had some good things to show us about life? Or was he more than that? Was he much more than that? And that what this passage presents to us is the truth that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good man. Jesus is the God-man. He existed from eternity past in exalted glory, worshipped by the hosts of heaven, but that he left all of that behind. He, he humbled himself in this, this humbling that we read about in this passage. He humbled himself by taking on human flesh. He humbled himself by being born into poverty. He humbled himself by dying and even dying a death on the cross. And that is what he came to do. He came to die. He came to lay down his life. He came to go to the cross. He came to redeem his people from their sin. He came to redeem us of our sin. Amen. And he has redeemed us of our sin. Everyone who has put their faith in Christ. We talked about how no one has humbled himself like Christ humbled himself. No one has, has stooped so low as Christ did. But the reason that he stooped so low was to lift us up with him. To set us free from sin. To set us free from death. To set us free from the power of Satan. Amen. That is Christ in the past. 
And I think when we think about Jesus, probably most people, they think about this portrait of Christ. They think, when you think about Jesus, you most likely think about him in his earthly life. You think about him as the the carpenter, as the the poor teacher who, who didn't have a place to lay his head. You think about the miracle worker, the one that opened blind eyes and and deaf ears, the one that healed the lame and walked on water, the one that raised the dead. You think about Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. I think when most people think about Jesus, they have this portrait of him in the past. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end at the cross. The story continues. And that's where we pick up the passage today. Death on a cross, but then verse 9. Therefore, because of all of these things, God has highly exalted him. That exaltation which began that first resurrection Sunday. That first Easter Sunday, if you will. When Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection was the beginning of this exaltation that God has highly exalted him. In the Greek, that word highly is actually more accurately translated super. But it's because it sounds sort of, um, I don't know, tongue in cheek to say that God has super exalted Christ. But that's what he's saying that, in fact, Paul here invented a word. He he smashed together the word super and the word exalted. And it's one word in the Greek language. You don't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. That he has been highly exalted. Of course, it began with the resurrection. The tomb today is empty. The tomb today is empty. But it didn't, just, it didn't just end with the resurrection. Jesus now is seated at the right hand of God. He has ascended into heaven. Right now Jesus is seated there at the right hand of the Father. Ruling and reigning as sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Christ present. And when we think about Jesus, this is how we should think about him. Not as the poor carpenter that didn't have anywhere to lay his head. No, we should think of him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Sovereign ruler over all peoples, over all nations, over all places. Jesus Christ, high and exalted. This is bumper sticker. I know that you've seen it. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. Listen, if all Jesus is to you is a Jewish carpenter... You've missed the point. No, my boss is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. And it is, it is not just here that this portrait of pre- the present reality of Christ ruling and reigning is presented. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. That's not just authority in heaven. It's authority here on earth. Amen. Has been given unto me. That's past tense. That means that Jesus right now, ruling and reigning from heaven, has all authority right now. Peter, writing in 1 Peter chapter 3, says that Jesus has gone into heaven. 
and is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers, all of them having been subjected to him. The right hand of God is, is, is a, a term of power. It's a position of authority. In Acts chapter 5, verse 31, the apostles speaking to the authority in their day, speaking to the Sanhedrin, speaking to the government of their day, who was telling them that they could not preach in the name of Christ. They said, God has exalted Jesus and put him at his right hand as the leader and savior of all people. Jesus is Lord of all. They're telling us that we can't preach in the name of Christ. Well, sorry, but there's somebody above you. There's authority higher than you. And it is Jesus Christ ruling and reigning from heaven. In Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is being stoned. Stephen was the first martyr of the Christian faith. He, he was being killed for his witness and his bold witness for Christ. And he's, as he's being stoned, he cries out, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 the Apostle Paul says that Christ is far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also to the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Do you, when I read these passages, do you, do you hear the totality of them, do, do you hear that, that it says all over and over and over again? You say, yeah, what does all mean? All means all. The, the, it, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, now, God has highly exalted him. That is past tense and bestowed past tense upon him. The name that is above every name. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords now. That is the present reality. That is the facts on the ground. It's not that Satan will be defeated one day. It's that no, Satan has been defeated. Amen. He was defeated 2,000 years ago on the cross. He was defeated as Christ rose in victory. Satan is not in control. Jesus is in control. Satan is not the ruler. Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is the sovereign. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Now flip over with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation, of course, is... The book of the Bible that talks about the, the consummation, the culmination of all things. The ultimate conclusion to history. We see that, of course, in, at the end of the book of Revelation. But Revelation chapter 1, it, it talks to us about the apostle John. He's been exiled on an island for preaching the gospel, for bearing witness to Christ. 
And as he's there, the Lord Jesus appears to him and begins to speak to him and, and, and tells him to, to record what it is that he is seeing. And in verse 8, Jesus tells him, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is. The Almighty, the, the, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Skipping down to verse 12, John says, I turned to see the voice of him who was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many, of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. Verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. Listen, Satan is not in control anymore. Satan's power has been broken. Satan isn't the one who has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. It is Jesus Christ who has those keys. He plundered Satan. He defeated Satan. He took back from Satan the authority that was lost when Adam and Eve entered into sin, the dominion that was lost when Adam and Eve entered into sin. Jesus Christ took it back. He is king and he is Lord right now. Amen. And so he has all authority in heaven and on earth now. Not someday, not in the future, not in the by and by, the sweet by and by, when we all get to heaven. No, now. Now. Past tense, verse 9, Christ has been exalted by God. He has received the name that is above every name. What is this name that is above every name? Well, it, it's not only Jesus. Jesus is known by many names in the Bible. Jesus is known by the name the Alpha and the Omega. We saw that. Jesus is known as Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is known as Prince of Peace. There's, there's many different names that Jesus is known by. But what he tells us in verse 11, speaking of Christ's future, is that everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the name that is above every name. You have to understand that the Old Testament uh, Hebrew scriptures, the name of God, the name of God that he had given to his covenant people in the desert when he appeared to Moses, he gave them his name. He gave them the name Yahweh. He said, this is my name, Yahweh. 
But the people of Israel, they held that name in such high esteem that when they wrote out the Hebrew scriptures, they would not write the name Yahweh because they were, had such a fear of God that they didn't want to break the commandment of taking the Lord's name in vain. And so what they did was they substituted a word for the name Yahweh. And the word they substituted was Adonai, Lord. And so when Paul here says that God has bestowed upon Jesus the name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus, everyone will confess that he is Lord. What he is saying is that he has bestowed upon Jesus Christ that name which is above every name, the name of Yahweh, the name of Lord, that he has made it manifest that Jesus is, the, is God. God over the Old Testament, God over the New Testament. There aren't multiple gods. There is one God, one Lord, Jesus Christ. He's saying that Jesus is the creator, that Jesus is the sustainer, that Jesus is the one who is moving all of human history to one conclusion, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now in Paul's day, it was treasonous to utter these words. It was treasonous to say Jesus is Lord because in Paul's day, there was another saying that every Roman citizen had to confess and that is that Caesar is Lord. That is what every Roman citizen had to confess. Caesar is Lord. It was the common confession of that day. Not only every Roman citizen, but everyone who lived in the Roman Empire. In fact, future Roman Caesars would make it so that you actually had to go and to offer an, a sacrifice of incense on the altar while you made that confession that Caesar was Lord. And you actually had, when you, to, when you did that, you were given papers that allowed you to buy and to sell in, the, in uh, the Roman Empire. And so many Christians would not do that, could not do that, because Caesar is not Lord. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. And many early Christians were persecuted, were martyred, had to go underground, live in the catacombs, because their confession was that Jesus is Lord. Not that Caesar is Lord. Paul makes this de declaration, he makes this decree because Caesar is not Lord. And so it is in our day, the state is not Lord. The government is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of every person. Jesus is Lord of every place. Jesus is Lord of every institution. Therefore, all people everywhere should obey Jesus Christ as their Lord. Jesus is Lord over every celebrity. Jesus is Lord over every entertainer. Jesus is Lord over every athlete, over every authority, over every policeman, over every politician. Jesus is Lord over every school principal. Jesus is Lord over every mayor. Jesus is Lord over every governor. Jesus is Lord of every senator. Jesus is Lord over every president. Jesus is Lord over every world leader. Yeah. 
Amen. Jesus is Lord of LeBron James. Jesus is Lord over Governor Greg Abbott. Jesus is Lord over Tiger Woods. Jesus is Lord over our mayor, Ron Nuremberg. Jesus is Lord over Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and Mark Zuckerberg. Jesus is Lord over J-Lo, Jay-Z, and the Toronto Blue Jays, and any other J you can think of. Jesus is Lord over Anthony Fauci, over Kamala Harris, over Joe Biden, over Donald Trump. Jesus is Lord over Vladimir Putin. Amen. Jesus is Lord over Asia. Jesus is Lord over Africa. Jesus is Lord over North America. Jesus is Lord over South America. Jesus is Lord over Europe, Australia, and even Antarctica. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over San Antonio. Jesus is Lord over Austin, Houston, and Dallas. Jesus is Lord over Los Angeles, Miami, St. Louis, and New York City. Jesus is Lord over Boston, Seattle, and Portland. Jesus is Lord over Athens, Baghdad, Bangkok, Beijing, Beirut, Berlin, Bogota, Budapest, Cape Town, Copenhagen, Dublin, Dubai, Havana, Jerusalem, Lisbon, Lisbon, London, Madrid, Moscow, Nairobi, Ontario, Ottawa, Paris, Pyongyang, San Jose, San Salvador, San Domingo, Singapore, Stockholm, Sydney, Tokyo, and yes, Jesus is even Lord over Washington, D.C., amen. There is not one continent, not one nation, not one state, not one county, not one city, not one street, not one house, not one room, not one square inch that is not presently under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because it is God the Father who has exalted him. It wasn't mankind that lifted him up to this place. It is not us who have made Jesus Lord. In fact, mankind booed him. Mankind nailed Christ to a tree. But it was God who raised him from the dead. It was God who has exalted him and seated him at his right hand. Jesus was not voted in and Jesus can't be voted out. Because God put him there, no man can remove him. Amen. Therefore... All people everywhere for all time should submit to and obey Jesus Christ as their Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, this has huge implications for us now, not just for our future. It's not about the kingdom in the future. No, Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done now on earth as it is in heaven. This is not just about our future. This is about our present. Christ is Lord now. 
which means that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we cannot allow ourselves to be beaten down. We cannot allow ourselves to be boxed into a corner by other so-called lords, by other people who think that they are Lord, by any dictator, by any tyrant, by anyone who would try to exalt their name over the name of Christ. Christ is supreme. His word, therefore, is supreme. His word is the final authority on all matters of life. There is no other name above his name. There's no other authority above his authority. There is no other word against his word. We submit to Jesus as Lord. Now, of course, God has instituted there to be government. I'm not telling you to, to go and rebel against authority. In fact, we should recognize the authority that God has placed in our lives. And to do so will, in fact, bring God's blessing into our lives. But when the authority that God has placed in our lives does not submit to his authority, that's when we say, I'm sorry, we must obey God rather than men. We, we call them to obey Jesus as Lord. Jesus as Lord. There, there, there's no separation between the, the sacred and the secular. The, 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 the idea that there's two different realms, that there's the religious realm and then there's the every other area of life realm. No, if Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of all. He rules and reigns right now through his word right now. His word is pure truth. And anything that does not line up with his word is by definition a lie. And so as we live in a, a nation that um, in, in many ways still has, has laws on the books, that represent the law of God. We should be thankful for that. How many of you thankful it's still illegal to murder people? Amen. How many of you thankful it's still, at least on the laws on the books, it's still illegal to steal? But we need to be praying for there to be righteous leaders who will acknowledge God's law, who will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ, who will do what God has put them there to do to punish evil. That's what Romans 13 says, that all authority has come from God and that God has established authority in the governmental system and that their main job is to punish evil, to suppress evil so that good can flourish. And so when a government refuses to call evil evil, and instead exchanges evil for good and calls what is evil good and calls what is good evil, we say, I'm sorry. We submit to the name that's above your name. We don't go along with it. Now, we don't have to be obnoxious, but we must be bold. We don't have to be belligerent, but we also shouldn't be ashamed. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In the Old Testament, there's this story. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it. 
the story of David and Goliath. And the Philistines had come against the nation of Israel. And <laughs> they had this really powerful warrior named Goliath. He was like nine feet, eight inches tall or something. Just super massive guy. Huge, muscular, strong guy. This massive warrior. And so the Philistines come to do battle with God's people, the people of Israel. And they had a, they had a pretty powerful warrior too. His name was Saul. Saul was a, a, a mighty warrior. He was a valiant man. And they come forward and, and the Philistines tell the people of God, he said, here's how, here's how this is going to go. We're going to put your best warrior against our best warrior. And whoever wins, that's it. That's, gonna, that's how we're going to settle this issue. And for some reason, for some reason, God's people chose to fight, chose to, to do battle, chose to fight on the terms that the enemy laid out for them, which is so bewildering to me. It's so bizarre to me. Why in the world, when, when Goliath came out week after week, day after day, to taunt the people of God, to taunt the God of the Israelites, to, to blaspheme God, why didn't six of them, 600 of them surround Goliath and kill him? Why were they fighting on the enemy's terms? But the people of God today in America have chosen to fight these spiritual battles. And I'm not talking about doing natural warfare. Now hear me on this. Hear me. We, we, are, are, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's spiritual principalities and powers. It's thoughts. It's ideas. This, this is what spiritual warfare and battle is. But we've chosen to, to, to believe the lie of the enemy, which tells us that we must fight according to their terms, which is that we can only talk about God, uh, we can only do our worship in a private way, that it's our private faith, but we can't go public with our faith. That the public square, that that's supposed to be a place where faith isn't expressed. Nonsense. Nonsense. That's not the word of God. Jesus is Lord over the public square. Jesus is Lord over the presidency, the vice presidency. Jesus is Lord over the Supreme Court. That is right now. And so the idea that we can only talk about Jesus in church or in our own homes, but in the public square, we can't ever express our faith. We're fighting on the enemy's terms. We're believing the lie. It's absurd. And, but that's what the people of God did in Israel. And that's what we're doing now. But then comes this scrappy young shepherd boy named David. Who was filled with the spirit of God. Who had been anointed to be king. And he shows up and he's like. What's wrong with all of you? Why are you letting this guy do this? Why are you letting him say this stuff about our God? Why are you letting him blaspheme? I'll, I'll go and fight him. If all of you are afraid to do it, I'll go and do it. And they all try to get him not to. They all tried to silence him. They, they, you know, Because he was making them look bad. He was making them look like cowards. He was exposing them for, for having accepted the enemy's terms for waging the warfare. 
And so David goes, and we know the story. Oh, it's a good story. Ah, we don't have time to go there. But he goes, and, and, and we know, you know, Goliath comes out, and he's like, am I a dog that you come out to me with, with sticks and stones? David, of course, had his sling. Am I a dog that you come out here and try to attack me with this? He says, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. And David says, hey, I don't come to you with a stick. I don't come to you with five smooth stones. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in his name. I'm not doing battle on your terms. No, there's a, there is a king in heaven. There is a God in heaven who rules and reigns even over you, Goliath. And this day, God is going to give me the victory over you. And so David winds it up. David lets it go. Now, do you think it was David that was just such an amazing shot? God guided that rock. God put it right in his forehead. That was God. It wasn't David. But David stepped forward. David allowed himself to be used. David took a stand for the Lord. David used what he had to speak out against the enemy. And then God brought the victory. And then, of course, the, 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 Goliath is defeated. David runs and grabs Goliath's sword and cuts off his head in front of the whole, you know, everyone watching. And then what happens next is that the Israelites get their courage back. The Israelites get their backbone. And they go and they attack the Philistines. And they win a great victory because they realize that God is on their side. Now listen, Goliath has been slain. Jesus has won the victory. But the church is still acting like he hasn't. The church is still living and breathing and acting today like there's some other authority over Christ, like there's some other power that's more powerful than the name of Jesus. And though the enemy has been slain, though he has, like Paul says, has been, uh, been exposed to open shame, that, he has, that Christ has made a fool of Satan, we still are on the other side of that, of that, of that battle not moving forward, not marching forward in victory because we believe that the state has more power than Jesus. We believe that educational institutions have more power than Jesus. We're afraid to speak the truth because we're not as qualified or we don't have as many degrees or, or we're not as educated. Listen, if, the, if anything, if we should have learned anything, if the church should have learned anything over the last two years is it doesn't matter what kind of education you've had. You can be a real idiot. You, you, can, you can make some really bad decisions. That, that you, <laughs> it, it should have shown us that, that education is not equal to wisdom. It should have, we shouldn't cower at people just because, well, they've been educated and they went to this Ivy League school and so therefore they must know more than me and maybe they do know more than you, but you've got the word of God. You have the unvarnished, unadulterated, pure truth. 
The Bible is our weapon. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. And we need to dust off our Bibles. We need to dust off our, our swords. We need to know what God's Word says. So that when other so-called lords would try to exalt themselves, that we don't bow. That we don't bow. We bow to no one except Jesus Christ. That's Christ present. But it goes on to tell us about Christ's future. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. That's present tense. That's right now. But here is there's something future that is coming. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, you need to know something. This will happen. This is going to happen. There is no way possible for this not to happen. Every knee will bow. When Christ returns to the earth, every knee will bow. It says every knee in heaven, that's all of the angelic hosts, that's all the saints that have gone on before us, they will bow. Every knee on earth, those who believe in Christ and those who do not believe in Christ. Those who have received Christ and those who have not received Christ will bow. And under the earth, that is demons, that is fallen angels, that is those who have rejected Christ, who are in hell, and that is Satan himself. Every knee will bow. There is no knee that will be excluded on this day. Adolf Hitler will bow to Jesus Christ. Joseph Stalin will bow to Jesus Christ. Every rotten person that's ever exalted himself against the name of Jesus Christ will bow in humble adoration, but it won't even just be a bowing of the knee. It will be a confession of the tongue. They will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Now we willingly submit to Christ and his lordship now. We bow in humble adoration now. We believe that Jesus is Lord and so we, we bow now. But the question is not if you will bow. The question is when you will bow. You should bow now. You should bow now. You should bow willingly, voluntarily, instead of on that last day. Make Jesus your Lord now. History is moving to one single, unavoidable, inescapable, inevitable event. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He must fill all in all. 
There is no way possible for this to end any other way. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author of history. And he alone has the power to bring history to the predetermined conclusion that he is bringing it to. He is the one in Romans, uh, Re- Revelation chapter 5, who opens the scroll. The scroll which represents all of human history. And he is the one who is directing human history to its final conclusion. And so the question that lies before you today is, have you submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ? He is Lord. But have you submitted to his lordship? In the New Testament, Jesus is called Lord some 747 times. In the book of Acts, Jesus is called Savior two times. And he's called Lord 92 times. We talk too much about Jesus as Savior and not enough about Jesus as Lord. Now is Jesus our Savior? Of course he's our Savior. But the only reason he can be our Savior is because he is the Lord. That's the only reason why. If Jesus is not Lord, he is not Savior. If Jesus is not Lord, he does not have the power to save. If Jesus is not Lord, he's just some guy dead in a grave somewhere. Paul said, if, if, if the resurrection is not true, your faith is in vain. If Jesus didn't rise, if Jesus didn't ascend, then all of it is for naught. But Jesus has risen. Jesus has ascended. And because Jesus is Lord, he can be your Savior. Because Jesus is Lord, he can set you free from sin, from Satan, from your past. Because Jesus is Lord, he can give you a future. Amen. Amen. That is the only question. When? When will he be your Lord? When will you acknowledge his lordship? He is Lord now. He is your Lord now. You should acknowledge it. You should live under his lordship. There's this myth of autonomy. It's a great lie. It is the lie. It's the lie that Satan told in the garden that tricked Eve and Adam. It's that you can be your own Lord. That you don't have to live under the Lordship of Christ, but that you can live under your own Lordship. That you can go your own way. You can follow your own path. You can determine right and wrong for yourself. It's a lie. It's not true. Adam and Eve followed that path, but they found themselves not free, but they found themselves in bondage, in bondage to Satan, sin, death, and hell. You can either live free under the lordship of Christ or you can live bound under the lordship of Satan, bound in sin. 
Trust me, there is no autonomy. You will serve someone. You will serve someone. You should serve Jesus Christ. I invite you to stand and our worship team to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these great truths. Lord, help us to not have a picture in our mind of your son that is weak. A picture in our minds of your son that is powerless. But Lord, let us have a picture of Jesus that is high and exalted, that is seated on a throne, that has the name that is above every name. Lord, if there's any area in our life where we have not submitted to you as our Lord, where we have not submitted to your word, if there's any area of our life where we are going our own way, following the path of this world and following into sin. Lord, that right now through the power of your spirit that you would help us to surrender that, to lay it at your feet because you are Lord. Lord, for those who are here today who have yet to put their faith in Christ, Lord, I pray that right now that you would Awaken faith within their hearts. Lord, that you are drawing them to, their, to, to yourself. Lord, that they would call upon your name because we know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, help us. Help us to live our lives not afraid, not in fear, not cowering, but with boldness because our Lord is Lord, because our King is King, because you are the ultimate authority in all the universe. And so, Lord, we choose to stand on your word. We choose to believe the truth. We choose to follow you as the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.